and welcome to We Heard Wonders, the podcast that's getting back to where it once belonged. I'm Andrew, I review music on Instagram at kidsagh86. And I'm Ian, a the guitarist in Glasgow band The Deadline Shakes and you can find us on all the many social media places at Deadline Shakes. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Beatles Heaven with this new documentary. Yeah. It's here. It's here. And it's bloody brilliant. It's really good, isn't it? It's really good. It's so good. I'm still making my way through it, but half of the way through, but yeah, just loving it, man. Yeah, I hope the nice folks who follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all those things, um... I want them to give us their thoughts on the Beatles documentary if they're watching it or if they don't care or whatever. Um, I saw a really interesting take online, actually. Um, uh, one particular guy who's a, a Glasgow musician, I won't mention him by name, but he really hates it. Really? Really, really, really hates wow. it. And he's just sort of thinking about, like, you know, how kind of bourgeois it all is in a way that they're sort of moaning about being in a big room and being paid to play music every day. Um when there's real problems in the world and all that sort of stuff. It's quite a, a tough take, I would have thought. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that, to be honest. I mean, miserable, dank, yep. damp studio yes. in, in January 69. It's not, you know, it's not the most luxurious of... No, and um, it's not really, like, when you see it as well, I mean, obviously we've read about it and seen snippets and stuff, but when you actually see... Where they're making music, I mean, it is the last like place to get the creative juices yep, going. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I know you've not started watching the second one yet, but as soon as they change location, you know, there's just an instant change in the mood and yeah. the creativity and everything. I think one of the main problems is the room's too big. Yeah, there's no closeness. They seem quite separated, even though they're sitting next to each other. But the room is so big that I can imagine what it sounded like. It was just sort of all the sound was just flown up into the air rather than being contained around them, kind of thing. Mm. Um, I think after like not playing live for a couple of years, I think they were just intoxicated by that Heydude performance. Yeah, and having a crowd around them it was like this place is amazing. Yeah, but it's that moment that's amazing rather than the actual venue. Yeah, rather than the venue. I know we've been tra- we we actually spent like half an hour talking about this already. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to drive up on chat here but like there's so many like great little moments details and, and stuff that you just like would never really think about like you know Mal Evans writing all the lyrics down and, and all that sort of stuff like I just find all that kind of fascinating how that that like what the process was at that point um, fascinating cause I think because it's really deeply flawed as well I mean it's sort of doomed to failure yeah. and we know it yeah. yeah and just a total range of characters and big characters I love Magic Alex, all his experiments and inventions <laughs> that he brings along. Yeah, he's a great total charlatan. He's a great person to read about, Ma- Magic Alex. Yes. He always makes a sort of pe- appearance in any Beatles, uh, you know, biography or whatever. But yeah, so I'm 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 thoroughly thoroughly oh, into it. Yeah, I'm here for all the mundane chit chat, as, as some people have called it. I'm, I, I just the, the detail, and I just can't believe that they've they've managed to capture that all. Yeah, and. You know, it's the biggest band in the world in, in all their glory kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's actually, do you know what, to me as well, it's quite an interesting, like, um, cultural artefact, obviously, because it's from the past. But actually, when you think about where we are today with, like, how common it is for people to go on live stream and for you to actually see, mm-hmm. you know, bands doing creative process and so on, um, you know, that's quite common these days. And and here was the Beatles kind of a tr- a trying to do that yeah. such a long time ago. Um, and maybe if they'd had a better kind of defined idea of what they actually were trying to do, maybe it would have maybe it would have come out even better. But it's just so fascinating. It is. It's amazing. 
um, you know, right guys, I'm going to leave the band now. It's just, <laughs> it's insane. It's so good. Um, it's just Paul in particular, I think he just trusts his abilities to be able to produce and he is just so yeah. creative, you know, creatively on it at that point in a way that maybe the other ones aren't. But yeah, just the, the, the songs just pouring out of him. Yeah. You know, every day there's just a new song that he's, oh yeah, by the way, I'm working on this one. Yeah. And all the stuff that would eventually go on Abbey Road as well was all being worked on at that stage as well. Yeah, and there's even, go. there's loads of tracks as well that, that they are thinking about that don't eventually come out until they've, they've split. So Jealous Guy and yeah. All Things Must Pass and all that are, are all tracks that get they get to later individually. Um, and we were saying in the car as well, how, how good would it have been if they'd managed to hold it together long enough to have all of those, you know, all together, oh, the, the best bits off McCartney one, etc. You know, and all just put together. Oh yeah, um, there's, a, there's a few um, playlists you can get on Spotify, and they tend to be called the Green Album. Yeah, and it's that kind of imagined all, all the all the best bits oh. of the solo years, and it's just an incredible uh, collection of songs. Yeah, it's, it's so they weren't they weren't drying up. No, they certainly weren't. They certainly weren't. It was great. It's great to watch it and, and great to like think about the process and, and see it in such intimate detail. I do imagine it is torturous for other folk that just couldn't care less and have had enough. And there was a there was a um, I think I don't know what uh, publication she was from, but um, there was a music journalist on the radio on Thursday morning last week when the you know the first day of the documentary being released, mm-hmm. and um, she's been asked by the presenter like you know what, what do you think of this kind of thing, and she was like. I'm just sick of the Beatles. Like, I've, you know, I've been so <laughs> steeped in reviewing music mm. for so long. I've heard every track 500 times. I just, I'm done. Like, I, I don't need any more. I've got, you know, if I want to go and get it, I'll go and get it. But I'm just, I'm kind of done. And I sort of understand that point of view, but I just don't share it. No. I can't get enough. <laughs> no, for me, the, the more you know, the more you want to know. Yeah. With the Beatles, they're just endlessly fat. It's fascinating for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think um, that's something that will keep us probably talking for years. Yeah. Like literally for years. It's mm. just insane that so much of it has never been shown before. There are there's, there's conversations there that have never really been shared before, no. which is just unbelievable. And for fans of um, Lord of the Rings, am I, am I the only one who's hoping for like the extended edition <laughs> at some point? Like eight hours wasn't enough. It's, it's amazing how he, he still you, you can still see his storytelling chops though. The way he kind of like you know he, there's like so much foreshadowing with like the way that he yep. talk, you know they talk about Billy Preston and stuff like that. I know it's like. You can only work with what you've got, but he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's, he's doing. He's, and all the cu- he drops in the like. cultural stuff as well. You know, this is what life was like in the 60s. Yeah. And tells you the story of the Beatles in about 15 minutes. I actually think, I watched it with my um, my daughter. Um, and uh, she's, she likes music, but she doesn't, knows nothing about the Beatles. And um, that, that sort of 15 minute summation of how they got from, you know, we lads in Liverpool to... Hamburg, Cavern, etc., etc., etc. Twickenham. Yeah, uh, it's actually really neat. It is, For yeah. an eight-hour film, it does. It does. It's a lot of exposition in fifteen minutes, um, right at the start. So, um, yeah, that's something that could be like you know chopped off and used on its own in the future. Is like, who are the Beatles? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's not all good news either. It does cover Manila and it covers like, and it's really raw. Mm-hmm. Lots of it really, really oh, yeah. raw. So love it. Superb. Love it. Um, right, that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about today. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Well, we are looking back, I guess, rather than getting back. So we're looking back over the year that's just been. That um, was so slick, Andrew. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we obviously started this podcast I think, at the beginning of September. So there's a lot of music that we didn't cover. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's, 
now that we're, we're coming into December, this is a great opportunity to look at a lot of the fantastic music that's been made. Um, I tend to do a, a list on Instagram where I kind of uh, count down my favourite albums. So I'm picking and choosing some of the kind of choice nuggets from from that list. So it's not it's not like my top twenty or anything like that, but it's just some uh, tracks and artists that I thought would be interesting to discuss. Yeah. So we're planning to do maybe four of these over four the of these, yeah. coming weeks. So and yeah, the majority of these I've not heard. So I mean, we will, I presume we will be covering a few that we've podcasted about before. I think so, yeah. Maybe not too many, because I yeah. think it would be nice to Keep do, do fresh. some fresh stuff. But yeah, yeah but so we'll definitely make some passing references to things that we've, we've loved as a pod. Definitely. I think, um, just to be absolutely clear about what we're doing here as well is, I'm kind of treating this like a sort of new music pod in a way, because these are tracks I've not heard before, yes. so I'm just listening to these fresh um, and just giving my, my reactions to them, um, and I've listened to them this week in the run-up to th- today, but obviously these are albums that Andrew really likes, so maybe you'll talk more about the the album and I'll talk more about, more about yeah, the track. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we've got a big track list today, let's see what we've got. Um, so we're going to be listening to uh, Robber by The Weather Station. Um, help me out with this one, Andrew. This is Afrique Victime mm-hmm. by Mdu Mokhtar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Um, then we're going to be listening to a cover of Careless Whisper by the Delvon Lamar Organ Trio, or as I found out, they were called the DLO3. There you go. There you go. Knowledge dropped it. Uh, Angeles by Corey Hansen, uh, The Great Divide by Yola, and Blue Vein by Lyle Neal. Yeah, and then we might even have a special vinyl word today. Indeed. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, cool. So, shall we just jump straight in this first track then? Yep, let's do it. Yes. So, yep, the weather station. Here we go. Here we go.
So that was our first track for today, Robert by the Weather Station. So Ian, that's us starting off with a track from Uncut Magazine's album of the year. Oh really? Believe it or not, yep. Yeah. Weather Station, number one. Um, it's not mine, spoiler alert, but I do think it's very good. <laughs> Have you announced what your album of the year is yet? No. I haven't, no. Under wraps. <laughs> Under wraps. You, you, you've not even told me, so I don't know what it is either. Um, yeah, it's a cool track, and I noticed as well that another Weather Station track is also in The Guardian's top 20 singles of the year or tracks of the year yes um, so this is obviously a very well regarded piece of work this one it's really really good yeah so if I could give you a bit of background information about who the Weather Station are so they're fronted by Tamara Lindemann and they started off as essentially an acoustic folk project yeah um, and then over the years they've you know she's just added more instrumentation and they had an album out in 2017 self-titled record that was really nice um, that had a, a track called uh, 30 on it and it's just a sublime track, really, really good. But it's almost as if she thought, um, you know, Americana, folk rock, completed it, mate. Yep. So now she's onto something <laughs> else. So with this fourth album, Ignorance, um, she's gone in a slightly different direction again. Yep. Um, so you've got, you know, kind of broadening of the palette with the extra instrumentation. There's there's some flutes on there, some sax. I love the, the the drum sound that she's got, and it's just got this kind of sophisticated pop feel to it. Yeah, that that um that, that she's clearly going for. I'm thinking of bands like Destroyer and Wild Beasts and, and Heim as well that they've kind of mm-hmm. gone for that sound sound. But it's kind of um, thinking about uh, you know kind of late seventies Joni Mitchell, Thomas Dolby's productions for Prefab Sprout and Talk Talk as well. So I'm kind of hearing all those influences coming in, but it's, it's a lovely, rich sound. It is, it is. I really liked, I read online they have two percussionists, mm-hmm. um, and the first thing, oh, obviously this track begins with um, percussion, um, and I just thought it was so clever, and, you know, they, they were using some unusual elements of percussion, some mm-hmm. um, there's some bells and triangles and sticks and, and whatever, and... Um, 
it sounded really lovely and delicate, but the, the track built into a kind of, um, you know, a much more kind of sophisticated, you said sophisticated, sophisticated, sophisticated pop? Sophisticated pop. Sophisticated pop. Wow, that was easy for me to say. <laughs> Jeez. Sophisticated pop. That's, a, that's a one I've not heard before. Um, but it is super sophisticated yeah. and it sounds quite epic as well. Mm. It builds, it's got a bit of drama to it. Yeah, real drama. Do you know what I thought? And this might be a kind of Luddite thing for me to say, so I apologise if it is. This felt like a Bond theme to me, in a way. Okay. Um, with the sort of like the, the bassiness and then the sort of gentle female vocalist on mm-hmm. top. So I thought, right, okay, well, that's interesting. Let me go and have a wee look at these lyrics. Um, and the lyrics are, oh, they're super brainy. Why are they so super brainy? They're so clever. Mm. Um, so I, I had to read that. I didn't know this was a sort of metaphor about Canada's colonialist past. And so in this metaphor, Canada is the robber. Right. Um, and she's learning to love or has been forced to love the country that she was born in, mm-hmm. but it's got all these unfortunate uh, things from the past in her view. Um, I think all of us in the West probably can sympathise yeah, with that really point that of view. Bit, yeah. It also works as a kind of th- metaphor for like the big business, big wigs and that kind of thing yeah. in the way that they're kind of, uh, there's, I think there's, there's lines about how, um, is it permission by words, permission of thanks, permission of by laws, permission of banks. Yeah. So it's the idea that they're kind of looking after themselves and that they're creating a system that, that suits them, yeah, and that's that's never really going to change, uh, yeah. But she she does this actually throughout the album. Um, she manages to kind of crowbar in some of these quite kind of pressing concerns that she's got. Yeah, but but she kind of does it in a very kind of yeah, she does kind of se- you know secrete them in. It's punk, isn't it? I mean, th- these lyrics yeah. are punk rock, but they're just very cleverly done. Um, I guess the genius of punk is that it doesn't you know put any kind of veneer on social criticism, whereas these are designed to make you think, these lyrics, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a, this I can see why this is so highly regarded, this band, yeah. this track, I just think it's I mean, th- very th- This track dropped um, November 2020 as the kind of the taster track for the album and I, w- I just immediately loved it and um, was really anticipating the album. And the album came out, I think, maybe January, it was mm-hmm. right at the start of the year. I don't think there's anything in the album that tops this track, to be honest, but there's a, it kind of keeps that but it's, it's very it's very kind of stylish and it's, it's stylistically cohesive as well all the way through it kind of maintains that yeah. that palette and no, it is really really good and she explores some other themes as well she talks a lot about um, like the climate and that kind of thing and what we're doing to the climate um, there's a lot of our kind of you know we talked about the Hooray for Riff Raff track mm-hmm. and she's kind of like trying to get back to nature and be awed by nature there's a lot of that here where she's kind of like finding wonder in nature. There's one track where she's standing in a, a concrete parking lot and like watching this bird singing. Yeah. And she's a, she's kind of in awe of it kind of thing. So there's a lot of that kind of going on. And uh, there's one there's one track that begins with, uh, oh my God, what a sunset. And that's the, the, the lyric. And then, and then immediately she's reminded that there's all this crap in the news that she just can't escape kind yeah. of thing. So it, yeah, so there's some quite heavy themes, but it's, she does it without kind of bludging you over the head with it. It's quite a light touch. Yeah. I would say that's the that's the, the, the benefit of the metaphor, uh, the robber metaphor here, is yep. it is making a serious point. And even if you don't get beyond the sort of, um, you know, the literal element of it and you just think it's about a robber, yep. if you just think about it like that, it's quite a, um, you know, something we can all kind of understand and appreciate and, and get along with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, an yeah. excellent track. I was just looking at the sleeve there as well, um, which is just yeah. sitting next to us here. It's really, really dark. Like the photography on the front is mm-hmm. ultra low light conditions. Yes. Um, but she's sort of just lying in a bush. Yes. As well. 
Yeah, in, in the video she's wearing this kind of reflective, uh, it's almost like a mirror suit she's mm-hmm. wearing, so the kind of light's bouncing off that. So yeah, yeah there's, there's, a kind of, there's light and dark going on. And because, because this album got such good reviews, I remember like seeing some of the, the kind of comments below the line and people were like, why, why is it, you know, what's so special about this? I think because it is so smooth and yeah. quite unobtrusive to a degree, but I think there is uh, some depth to it. Yeah, definitely. I would say definitely depth to it. I could sort of anticipate the depth as soon as I heard the first minute. I just sort of thought there's more going on here than I'm going to get in one listen, and it required like two or three to mm-hmm. sort of just uh, you know get the full experience. But definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. So definitely. I'd say that's a cracking start, Andrew. You know, sometimes we start the podcast with a sort of big loud song, and it wasn't that this time. But I think this is also a good opener, but just in a sort of different yes. kind of. Um, a different sort of like way which is going to it moves into view doesn't it (laughs) it does indeed that's that's a perfect description it does move into view okay so um, yeah so good start weather station Mm -hmm. Um, and next we're on to now for something completely different (laughs) so this is Mdu Mokhtar a freak victim here we go
Tem, um, and it's by Mdu Mokhtar. And if we do have any African listeners out there, um, anyone from Nigeria, <laughs> and I've butchered the pronunciation, there, we apologize. I, I do apologize, of course. Uh, Doing my best. Um, so that's mad. Oh, brilliant, mad. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh. good. It's cracking. It's, you know, I love that track. I really do. Um, it's not something you can listen to, like with the Weather Station track. I think that's something you could listen to. It bears repeating. You know, two or three listens to this, and you, you realise it's it's quite a it's quite a lot. But it's it's very very memorable. Um, yeah. I don't want to just compare it to the other African music that we've listened to. Um, but it do, there is something that's so bold about it, and yeah. um, that just does remind me of Pigeon. <laughs> um, from a couple of weeks ago, yeah, uh, a different a different type of rock, but I'm really really interested. This is something I didn't know until we started doing this podcast. Really, that um, like a new African musicians made rock music, yeah, but I didn't sort of really appreciate that there would be all of the subgenres of rock. There would be an, a sub sub like African prog and African yeah thing, and you know I didn't really didn't really didn't really occur to me. To yeah. be honest, I think I mean when I started buying on cut kind of like the early 2000s they would they would put a lot of these like African rock musicians on the cover and yeah. stuff like that or, or they'd feature them but it always felt quite worthy stuff and it, it was stuff that didn't really um, you know it didn't excite me to a degree it, it was yeah it was maybe a little bit plodding or it would just kind of drift whereas this it just goes at a gallop it really does it starts at a gallop and then it just accelerates from there it's just so exciting yeah. I think he's an incredible guitarist it's funny talking about the um, talking about the Beatles documentary as well it's kind of uh, appropriate because there's something about this that's so raw mm-hmm. and like the track just speeds up slows down you know the drummer's clearly not using any kind of like metronome no. or, or any backing track or anything it just kind of goes where it goes and it's great to feel like the musicians are, are, are feeling it um, it's got a jam type quality totally, um, yeah. I mean it's not really but it, you know it's, it's clearly a rehearsed song but it's got a kind of like it's going where it's going type of feel and they're, they're following the song as much as the song is being played by them um, so yeah I really loved it and the guitar um, played by I believe that is by Mdu Mokhtar is that right? Yes. Um, and he's a left-hander as well, which I love. Yeah, and I watched I watched a little bit of him play because I, I read on a review somewhere online that he has a really unusual playing style. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let's have a look at this then. Um, and I can confirm, it's so weird. Like he he sort of strums upwards with his left index finger. Um, so for non-guitarists out there, like let me just say that is so strange. Like it's just really weird to look at. Right, okay. um, because you just think, well, how are you going to play? Accurately, like how you, I mean, he does clearly. Um, why, why would he do that then? Is that just a, a just a quirk that he's picked pro- up early on? Or? Yeah, probably. Probably it's just whenever he's learned to play guitar, that's just how he's kind of. He's probably taught himself. I would have thought. Um, lots of people are self-taught, and then they get a little. I mean, nowadays you just use YouTube or whatever. So if you're trying to teach yourself, you would just follow guides of people who know how to do it. But if you're literally teaching yourself, then yeah, that's when you get all sorts of weird and wonderful interpretations of how to actually play the guitar. Um, like Paul McCartney, for example, playing just a right-handed guitar upside down to play it left <laughs> to play it left-handed. Um, you just wouldn't do that now. You just buy a left-handed guitar. Um, so, so he's developed a really interesting style, and his soloing style as well. In the, in the first major guitar solo on here, um, he's sticking pretty closely to fairly basic scales. So he's using like pentatonic and, and, and blues scales mm-hmm. to solo, um, which is which is cool. It's quite Jimi Hendrix. Um, but 
it's, it, that's not a particularly difficult technique. No. Although it sounds quite impressive, he's actually just sort of staying within a sort of certain framework, and it's more about the expression in his playing rather than the actual notes or the complex, you know, the, the complexity of the part. Mm-hmm. And then the second major solo, he does a bit of tapping. Um, and I thought I read online as well. I thought this was amazing that he only recently had seen a video of Van Halen and was like, "What's that guy doing?" And that's, <laughs> that's how he learned to tap, which is so cool. Right. So you can see hear the second sort of major solo later on in the track. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some some tapping when he's playing notes with his right hand as well as his left hand rather than strumming or whatever. So it's like super wow. a, a super cool guitar part. Apparently Sorry for the nerdy massive, guitar like, chat there. I was just, oh, I was no, aware I loved it. <laughs> Apparently he's a massive ZZ Top fan as well. Yeah. Him and the producer bonded over that. Well, that would, that would play in with the pentatonic blues right. scale type playing. Boogie woogie type stuff. Yeah. The parts. But yeah, apparently, I mean, the, the, the title of the track as well, and this is the title track of the album, uh, A Freak Victim. So it's it's that idea that he's, he's kind of angry here about the way that things are, are going on in Africa as well. So I've got a quote from him here. He said, I made the tracks using pedals that are angry sounding to show my anger about the situation. So he's even trying to make the, the music sound quite yeah. angry. Um, and if, if you look at the translation of the lyrics as well, he talk, it says here, Oh Gaddafi, to whom have you entrusted Africa? Africa is a victim of so many crimes. If we stay silent, it will be the end of us. So he's he's pretty pissed off here. Yeah, clearly. Uh, but rightfully so yeah. I think. so that, that that anger comes through in the track but it's also incredibly fun to listen to yeah. it, it makes me feel like I'm on like a runaway train or something like that I'm just watching watching like the, the world kind of blurry and, and flashing past me yeah. kind of thing yeah, was this, really, was really this track recorded in the desert? I believe it was yeah I believe so yeah, yeah I, think, I read that uh, somewhere online yes I, yes I think that's right and apparently he um, Mdu Mokhtar like he has recorded in studios before with engineers, you know, using the sort of old-fashioned, you know, Western yeah. method of making music. And he, to quote him, I believe he said, it's just too square. <laughs> um, so he prefers, like, just recording outdoors yeah. and, and, and all that sort of stuff, which is amazing. I mean, this is this this track, I don't know if this, this track was recorded like that or not, but that's the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, and you can really imagine, you know, being in the Sahara. I mean, he's one of the Tuareg He's from the Tuareg tribe yep. of people. Um, you can imagine them being out in the Sahara, you know, out in the middle of the night, and it's just a joyous, you know, raucous sound just disappearing up into the sky. Um, it's interesting you see it about the guitar pedals as well. His guitar sound is super clear. It is, yeah. It's like it's like a it's like a ringing bell. It so it's angry, um, but it's not so like fuzzy and distorted that you can't discern the notes or whatever. It's yeah, it's very cool. So and, and quite proggy as well. I thought as well in parts towards Definitely, the end, yeah, which, had, which I'm here for. Yeah, <laughs> you're all about the prog. Yeah, so yeah, I, I mean that is a standout track on the album for me, and it's I think it's the longest track on the record. But there's, there's so many other tracks that have that kind of similar sound, and yep. yeah, the amazing trippy, bendy, uh, you know, rollicking sounds yeah. all over it. There's also a track called Layla, which means you can listen to a, a track called Layla without feeling guilty about it. <laughs> Which is, which is good. Because we know Eric Clapton has been cancelled. <laughs> so he has in this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> um, yep, so definitely a recommended record. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's a that's a winner. As soon as as soon as I heard the first like <laughs> four seconds, I was like, right, I know I know what this is. I mean, I saw the title as well, so I knew it was going to be 
you know, something African. I just didn't know what <laughs> it was going to be. And uh, and then I looked at, I mean, the front, if anyone hasn't seen the front cover of this record, you, I, you must look at it. It's the cool. most like, 80s like metal cover you've ever seen in your life like a sort of it's a is it an eagle I think I don't know it's a giant bird I believe so, yeah. holding Africa in its talons but Africa <laughs> is also a crying lady's face <laughs> <laughs> and it's also surrounded by a golden halo uh, it's fantastic so right. congrats to them on what is an absolutely stunning track and I'm sure a good record too um, right so what we're on to next we are going to listen to oh this one right okay it's the Delvon Lamar organ trio with their cover of Careless Whisper.
So that was the Delvon Lamar Organ Trio, or DLO3, as Ian calls them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, their take on Careless Whisper. Uh, anybody that knows me and has known me for a long time knows that I'm not going to be able to resist um, a soul cover of George Michael. Really? Because he is, yeah, he, he was a big guy for me when I was young. I don't know why, you know, like, <laughs> like I, was, I was like 10 years old and I saw him on top of the pops with that weird um, you know, asymmetrical hairdo that he had <laughs> singing about Jesus and I thought he's the man for me. Yeah, in a I, really solemn way. You're just, not the only one, I don't think. I think I, I, I definitely had at least one childhood friend who massively like loved George Michael, and then translated that, like you have done as well, into a, a big, deep knowledge of funk yeah, and soul and, and I, so on, jazz. Yeah, I wasn't so much Jesus to a child, but fast love and spinning, spinning the wheel. I yep. loved. Got that. Remember getting that album on cassette, and then I just went and bought everything that he'd ever done, and I just loved it. I just yeah. I don't know why. Uh, and, I, and I still stand by it to this day. I think he's an amazing soul singer. And he's kind of gone in and out of fashion a lot, many times. But I think since his death, I think people start to recognise that he was an amazing soul singer. You yeah. know, and, and yeah, a lot of the, the kind of the first soul music that I would have heard would have been, you know, through him. Cause he did a he did a cover of um, "They Won't go, They Won't Go Where I Go," um, Stevie Wonder. He obviously did the, the collaboration with Arifa as well mm-hmm. um, and you, you were waiting for me so yeah they would have been some of my first introductions into oh, soul music so yeah it, I think, I think uh, that does make sense okay well I'm not a big George Michael fan okay. I have to say but I'm, I don't I don't hate him or anything like that or I, I don't really dislike um, the tracks and obviously like we're coming up to Christmas so we're going to be hearing Wham uh, yes. till, till it's coming out of ears one of the greatest Christmas songs you ever. think so? I think so. All right, fair enough. I mean, it is really. It's very catchy, and and it's it's good that it tells a little um, story, a little Christmassy heartbreak yeah, story as well. And it's poignant. It's poignant. Yeah, it is good. It is good. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. George Michael's an artist I find difficult to really love. Um, he's one I can look at and go, "You are a, clearly a good singer. I've been more than a good singer. Very talented singer." Um, Aretha isn't duetting with someone if they're not an amazing singer, right? Yeah. As you pointed out. Um, but there's something about the style of music and especially those late 90s ones like Fast Love and whatever I just I don't know there was something something I just couldn't get on with at the time mm-hmm. um, and I haven't listened to them since I have to say so maybe I'm, I'm judging them without going back but yeah Careless Whisper is clearly a classic an all time classic pop track um, but I'm going to need an explanation of why this is so good like I, I, it's quite straight like it's quite a sort of like you know, when I saw that they were called the the organ trio, I kind of thought, all right, this will be, you know, Andrew's picking something because it's like jazzy or whatever, and it's going to be a little, you know, they're going to, you know, make it up as they go along type of thing, just riffing on the main themes and so on. It's pretty straight. Yeah, it is, yeah. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, there's, there's, there are other tracks on the record that where they do kind of go off a little bit more in that kind of Booker T and the MGs, Jimmy Smith style. This one, as you say, it is... A little bit more straight, and it is. It's kind of in the middle of the record. It's it's a it's a kind of blue bluesy, moody, mm-hmm. uh, slow groover mover. I guess I, I I just I just really like it, and I obviously you know, I've got I've got that affection for George as well. But yeah. no, I, I just I think I like the fact that they keep it straight and they're kind of respecting the track for what it is, and yeah. it, it kind of it, it's kind of a throwback to those kind of sixties mod organ trios that would they would take the kind mm-hmm. of tracks of the day and then do their kind of version of do it. Version of them, yeah. So no, I I just enjoy the mood that it creates. I would say though that the, the, the song Careless Whisper here, this version of it, 
it's it's well played. It's very slick, and all the all the all the three instruments sound great. So the guitar playing is good, and very clear and clean and crisp. The organ playing is nice and bubbly and warm and stuff. So it is good. Um, but I think it's just missing its greatest asset, which is ultimately George Michael. Right. I, I feel like you're, you're sort of waiting for that kind of smooth, the way he sort of smoothly descends into the uh, the chorus and stuff. You just It's just sort of missing that. Okay. Um, now, obviously, they don't have a singer, I don't think. So, or no, do they? No, they don't. So they're not going to have a singer on this, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm sort of missing something that's never going to be there. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, I didn't know anything about them whatsoever. Um, and uh, as an introduction to this band... I don't know. I don't know if it was one I would really explore too much beyond this. It was if it had a bit more kind of like I can't believe I'm about to say this, but if it had a bit more jazziness about it, right? It's kind of experimented a little more. Maybe they've been like, oh yeah, that's cool. I can see why they've of done course, that. Of course, because Killer Whisper's got saxophone on it as well. So, yeah, yeah. And I just sort of wanted it to go there, and it kind of didn't. I thought, in fact, not only did I want it to go there, I fully expected it to go there, and it just kind of right. didn't. I wondered if they were going to like. You know, pick up the pace and you know do you know go have a fast section towards the end or something, but it's fairly straight. It is, yeah. It's yeah. restrained, but I think it's cool. I like, I like the mood that it creates. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I could imagine that on at a party. Um, yeah. And this whole probably this whole record is good for that, isn't it? Um, and uh, definitely, yeah. It, yeah, fun. and there's there's loads. I, I listen to a lot of these kind of uh, instrumental acts. Um, they're on coal mine records that we talked about before in relation to Neil Francis. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, those kind of throwback guys. But there's there's a lot of really cool instrumental funk stuff. Um, there's the Mahanan Street Band who had a really cool album out this year. Um, there's a lot of stuff around Daptone as well. Yeah, that's really really cool. Um, and there's there's a lot of it. Strangely enough, coming out of Australia, lots of instrumental funk groups. Uh, there's one called Let Your Hair Down that had an album out this year that I'd recommend as mm. well. And there's a, there's a band called Karate Boogaloo that do, <laughs> do, do loads <laughs> loads of kind of cool um, covers of famous songs. Yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah. as you say, it's, it's good to put on it in a party. One of your like best assets, I think, is a music appreciator, music listener or whatever, is that you have such broad taste. Yeah. Like, like you, you get something out of this that I don't... Um, Clearly, and I think it's just maybe because you are more open to some ideas than most. Actually, not just me, and I think most people. Then you know, I'm not saying most people won't like this. Probably loads of people like this, but you're just very open to like suggestion with music and and, and quite kind of um, free thinking about it. Which I think I think is why probably this ends up on your album of the year list. But I don't know how many. Will this be? Will this is this really well regarded by um, folk? Or? I think it's it's had good reviews in the kind of. Um, the soul jazz community, yeah, or? the funk trio community, yeah, I think <laughs> the so. organ trio community, yeah, and and I think they are one of those groups that they do kind of tear it up more live, yeah. yeah so they, they have done an al- a live album that's really really cool. I can't remember the last time I said this. I've said this on the podcast recently, but I sort of was kind of a little critical of a track and then said, "But I would like to see this live." I can't remember who that was I was talking about, but I would quite like to see this live. I would quite yeah. like to see them live. Um, mm-hmm. I listened. To, I did my usual. Listen to that track, and then I listened to a little more, just a few snippets here, and then I thought, no, oh, I can, I could enjoy this. I could, but I think more pre- being present in the room and and all that aspect of it. But yeah, but yeah, interesting, interesting. So this is, but this isn't top of your list. This isn't like a way at the top. This no, is no, this somewhere, is being, somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Okay, fair enough. Right. So who are we on to next? We are talking about aha, Corey Hansen. And the song's called Angelese. 
This is another one that this is nothing like the previous one at all, <laughs> which I really like. Okay, here we go.
So that was Corey Hansen and Angeles um, from his album Pale Horse Rider. Another record that was recorded in the desert. Ah, yes. And it does have that kind of dusty atmospheric quality to it. I'd say so, yeah, definitely. It makes me think of a starry night sky, especially the ending and the beginning. But yeah, what a cool track. Really, really cool. A total winner. Uh, yeah, uh, one of my mates who listens to the podcast, he says that he's just waiting for the Radiohead reference. Um, you know, every, every every episode is almost like a kind of, uh, you know, podcast bingo kind of thing. And I think he definitely does have a, a Tom York. A show. touch of the Radioheads. Yeah, especially kind of later um, Radiohead. Is your pal at home shouting house right now? <laughs> house! Um, so yeah, so I'm thinking, yeah, Tom York's voice, um, a lot of kind of Gaz Coombs um, kind of uh, solo stuff as well. These are way more modern references than I was expecting you to make. Right, okay. yeah. And I mean, there's parts that, that go into the kind of crazy horse, Neil Young yeah. type thing. Uh, but I think on this track it has got that kind of the, the atmospherics and that kind of ghostly quality to it. Definitely. Um, so Corey Hansen, he he's, he's lead singer in a band called Wand. Wand, yes. He started off as a kind of garage psych scuzzy type project and mm. then they've kind of increasingly found their own voice and, and grown more kind of musically sophisticated and they do they do sound a little bit more like kind of Radiohead style but I'm thinking more the kind of the rhythmic Radiohead stuff like uh, um, Pablo Honey and Benz and um, no maybe more like kind of in rainbows oh right, stuff. right okay with you um, but yeah he, he's done this is his second solo album and it is a little bit more uh, acoustic a bit more powered back um, but he has added all these kind of background textures this time around, which is creates a really cool mood. Yeah. So between uh, tracks here, I said to you, Andrew, I do like this one, next one. And instead of notes, all I've done is written down a lyric yeah. from this track. And you said, I bet I know which one it is. Yeah. Right. So I'll read it to you and you can tell me what you think. <clears throat> Your mama was a psychologist until she egged my car and then she was my nemesis. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> psychoanalyst. Psychoanalyst. What have I written down? Psychology. Oh, I have written down psychoanalyst. I just can't read my own handwriting. What would a psychoanalyst say about that? Mm. Who knows? Um, so yeah, that lyric is mad. It does jump out. <laughs> it does a bit. Actually, the first, the first couple of lessons, because it's quite a gentle track, I wasn't really like honed in on what these lyrics are. And then I was about the third lesson through, I was like, hold on, I rewound and I caught it. And I was like, wow, that's, I don't know what that's about. Um, but it's kind of playful and and an odd and offbeat. Yes, um, and I think that's kind of what the that's, whole that's vibe, his vibe. Yeah, is trying to unsettle you a little. Yes, um, definitely. So it feels smooth and and calming, but there's also something kind of just a bit. Yeah, there's an un- unease. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, uh, really cool. I was thinking, I was thinking, definitely seventies was the was the era that would have inspired this type of track. Mm-hmm. I even think like we're looking at the record sleeve as well. Um, it's that kind of thing. It looks like, I don't know, brown paper scrumpled up and then there's a sort of Polaroid looking photograph of, um, I imagine that's Corey Hansen there. Yep. Standing in what looks like a sort of Adobe type uh, house, I think. Yeah, I guess so. Um, And the back cover is just more of the scrumpled up paper or (laughs) sand dunes or whatever it is, cellophane. Um, So yeah, it's quite a kind of, even the cover is kind of like a little bit obtuse. Yeah, enigmatic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. so yeah, again, I mean this like how this sits along with the other ones um, in terms of your overall album of the year awards. What are you thinking? This is like a <clears throat> you like this one? Or? I do really like this. I, I, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle again because um, it is quite a subtle record. It's, it doesn't. I, 
you, you kind of inevitably go for the kind of grander statements as being mm-hmm. the ones that kind of go to the top. Yeah. So this is somewhere in the middle, but for what it's doing, it, it does it really, really well. And it is one that I return to quite often, especially on like a like Sunday morning or something like that. Yeah. Just stick it on. I think um, we're going to listen to a track later, I don't want to spoil it or whatever, that really is using very rudimentary recording practices. Yeah. And this one is deliberately simple, but obviously, well, not obviously, but I imagine that all of the tools and tricks of the trade are available to, to Corey Hansen, but he's selecting um, to make it simple and straightforward and, and unsettling, which I think is quite a clever quite a clever choice. And this this kind of atmospheric music to me will just never really go out of fashion. No. Because um, there's always, you know, it's always kind of like, it's always been there in the background. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, he's now, he's now in Drag City and they, they, they do a lot of that kind of stuff that, like Bill Callahan and, and people like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, Why are people drawn to deserts so much to make music? Why is that? And festivals and, and things like yeah. Burning Man's in a desert and like I'm thinking the Queens of Stone Age side project is called The Desert Sessions and all these Just famous something musicians. Something kind of mystical about it. Isn't yeah, it? and empty and you know and you can be as loud the, as you want. The doors have got a lot to, to answer for. Yeah, yeah, and Wayne's World 2 as well of course yeah. with the doors segment and that. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. It's a lovely track. Like it's a really, really lovely track. Um, and And... Uh, and odd as well. Yep, it's good, yeah, I have to mention how odd it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you, I think if you like that track, you'll get on with the album. Yeah, I think I probably will. Right, we'll put that on my list then <laughs> of things to listen to. Okay, next we're on to something completely different again. It's Yola. Yola.
through. So that is the Great Divide by Yola. Yes. Um, this looks to me like a like a the whole package looks like a big throwback to me, a sort of disco esque kind of device. Yes. Throwback. I really record. I don't like the cover. I don't really like the, the the design and that kind of thing. I think it cheapens it a little bit for me. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. It's too purple. <laughs> it's too much. It's just it's just a little bit naff. Yeah. Which can't be said. I mean, oh. yeah, on the back as well. You <laughs> just turned over and she's like riding this like Harley Davidson. In a leather jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. The so, music. <laughs> but yeah, I think, so I think it does the music of the service. You know, when we were talking about your know, Corey Hansen, it's got that kind of, the kind of hidden layers and there's a bit of kind of an enigma there. Yeah. With this, and we've talked about tracks like Cola before and that uh-huh. kind of thing and how that, they're a bit inscrutable and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, uh, with this one, you know, it's just immediately obvious what's good about it. That's in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So amazing singing, amazing songs, amazing arrangements, great production from Dan Auerbach from yep. Black Keys. And I just can't get enough of this album. Podcast finished on the next track. <laughs> That's it, yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I just. I, I found a wee bit with this one. I don't know if it's because of the tracks I'd been listening to prior to this. Yeah. Like uh, Weather Station, uh, particularly, <laughs> and Corey Hansen. Um, and maybe that maybe this is my problem as well with the organ trio as well. Mm-hmm. As I'm sort of then scraping away thinking like, what is the, what's the magic of this? Um, the thing that screams out of the speakers from, from this track is clearly an unbelievable vocal yep. performance mm-hmm. and then a truly, truly ludicrous key change at the end. <laughs> yes. And I don't even uh. know what type of key change it is, but it's mad. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I kind of just thought that the arrangement was good. And it was, but it was very trad. There was nothing like very modern about yeah, it. Yeah, that's um, fair. There was also nothing particularly retro about it. It was just kind of like the standard type of soul backing for this type of track. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like a kind of show tune vibe to it. It's it does, like it's, yeah. it's big emotions delivered in a big way. Yeah, it's big, um, big and bubbly, big bubbly, brilliant. I would say. Yeah, Absolutely. I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed listening to it. I just was kind of looking for the hidden deeper meaning or you know something that's going to take me somewhere else but again that's on me like I'm, I'm looking for more than uh, I should be there yeah. I think well yeah I've, I've, it's, it's not it's not the coolest record on my list but it's one I mean I, I'll, I'll listen to that track Great Divide and I just want to listen to the whole album all the way through because yeah. the, the songwriting is just brilliant it's a, it's a well written song as well it delivers all the all the things you want I'm sat, I'm making it sound like a checklist type of thing, but it it does do all the classic yeah. soul things that the hooks here and and the chorus is there and the and the key change at the end and everything. It's it is a good example of of that particular type of thing. I would say definitely, and and I, she means it. I think, and there is a bit of angst and heartache there. There's a, there's a few references to what's been kind of going on the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. The first track's called "Barely Alive," and um, if I could read some of the lyrics here. When will you start living now that you've survived? Okay, so that, that could mean any number of things, yep. but there's that kind of like recognition, like we're still here kind of thing. What, when are we going to start living again kind yep. of thing? Is it here for a spell or will it always remain? Isolated, getting hard to maintain, but we try to get by and we strive, but we're barely alive. So yeah, so I think that there's a kind of real struggle there and there is a kind of life-affirming quality to a lot of the, the tracks that she does in this record. So as a kind of, it's a big, country soul record but there's some kind of disco influences in some of the tracks yep. and some amazing strings and just her, just her vocal I think 
that, that I think that is the extra thing that maybe you're looking for if you if you if you like that voice then she's the one she really sells the material yeah I think so I think so that that type of singing is you know you can you can hear that in a lot of places like you can go to a karaoke bar and you'll hear someone singing in that style mm-hmm. but you will very rarely hear a vocal performance as good as the one on that track it's, <laughs> it's actually unreal um you know so I actually think that was that that it was to me, the, the, the track was it was a decent song. I, you know, I didn't love the song. I thought the song was good. But the thing that just screamed right out, right out of the track from moment one was, wow, she's a good singer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, worth it from from that point of view, if, if nothing else, obviously. Um, and, of course, the absolutely ludicrous front <laughs> cover of this record. I've noticed as well, I've just looked inside the sleeve while she were chatting there, and you do have a pull-out poster. Yeah, the poster's actually better. See, if you if you look at it, oh. yeah, I, think, I think her style in there's better. Would you agree? Yeah, you can hear the <laughs> unfolding noise. Yeah, it is. It's cool. It is cool. And that, that is a little bit more retro. Yeah. Her outfit there is a bit 70s or whatever. Mm. Andrew, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> we, need to, we, need back in, we need to get back in our lane. Uh, we need to get back in our lane. Um, right, so that was Yola, an interesting track. And then this next one is Lyle Neal. Am I saying that right? Lyle? I believe it's Lyle. Lyle. Lyle Neal. Lyle Neal. Lil Neil. Okay, and this track is called have to help me Blue Veins. Blue Veins. Okay, here we go. Gather your words, gaze at the fields of snow. Garden is gone, the cold wind blown. Kneel down to your mom, hold on to your dad's hands. Maybe they're dead yet, don't forget. You're born with a blue vein, born to the song, born just to know things. To take off, I'm gonna fly. Guardian angel, gather my losses, keep them all safe till I come to my cross. It's easier said when it comes from my head But the needle of truth gives The blood that I let And we're born with a blue vein Born to the song Born just to grow wings
come to the fold Meet the arms of my brother Feel the birth of a new age When I become the other Well, some say the truth springs For reservoir seekers But I think the truth sings To whoever So that's Lil Neil. Um, the album is called Acquainted with Night, and the track is Blue Vein. Did you Correct. did you do a best to last type thing here, or, or no? Did you do you think this is the best one, or or, or no? Or you just mix them up? Uh, just mixing them up. I think this is a, a nice kind of come down, if you like. Um, after after what's come, I thought, yeah, it made sense to be last for me. It made sense for it to be last. I, I think this might be my favourite one. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful it's stutter, really it's a really good yeah and I think um, since I heard this you, you sent me this track some, sometime last week um, and I've been listening to a little bit of our other work the rest of this record and so yeah. on and it's another one it's like uh, Corey Hansen it, it improves with multiple listens as yes. well um, I think like the, the the performance is really it's deliberately quiet it's a little bit fuzzy yes uh, just a little bit um, and she's using kind of really rudimentary recording techniques from what I've read. Um, the production is really, really roomy. So lots of space on there. Yes. There's very, very, I mean, it's what, like it's a guitar, it's some kind of organ-ish instrument. It's an omnichord that she omnichord. uses all the way through. Okay. Um, and is there a bit of drums as well? Am I right? So there's a kind of pulse that goes through it. Oh, that's it. There's a pulse, yeah. Um, and her vocal, and that's about it, I think. Yep. Pretty much. Yes, she she did, she made a record in 2015, I'll Be Your Man, um, which was a, a, a kind of full studio effort, and she just didn't like it. She just didn't think it was her. Yeah. So with this one, it was done in four track, as you say, just a few instruments, and just her just trying to be kind of as confessional as possible. She grew up on a farm as well, so she was trying to kind of draw upon kind of experiences and memories from living on that and some of the kind of the, the American writers. The, from the south that she kind of drew up, uh, grew up with, like people like Steinbeck, so she's kind of like drawing from that kind of idea of the American, the great, know, the great American great beyond or whatever. Yeah, I um, think yeah. It, it, to me as well, I read this in a review, and then when I thought about it, it resonated with me. But 
someone reviewing this track, it might have been Pitchfork, maybe in the Guardian. I'm sorry, I don't know. Can't credit it properly. But the um they suggested that in a way, because she'd done a big production record and then had come back down to this, this was her kind of rejecting, you know, yeah. modern recording methods and was just trying to I saw her quoted somebody saying she's just trying to get down to what actually is it she's doing with music? Like is it just something that's supposed to sound good? You know, the ear candy type thing? Mm-hmm. Or is it is it supposed to be um, something meaningful and real and emotional? Yes. Um, and I think she's gone more to that end of the spectrum rather than the big big production, obviously. Um, her voice sounds a lot like Lana Del Rey. Like a lot, a lot. Uh, yes. No, um, I, and I, I mean that in a good way, obviously. Yeah. I, I like Lana Del Rey. Um, but I just sort of wondered if she'll just kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit um, <laughs> as a result of that. Not by you, clearly. Um but yeah, I, I think this is a really, really interesting track. But I, th- I think the way that the way that she's done the production, it does make it stand out because it isn't your kind of polished line of stuff as she's doing now. Yeah, it, it does stand out, and it has got that kind of spectral quality to it. That I just think it's and it is really kind of emotional. It, yeah. it does. It, it does kind of really hit you in the feels. If you like, Do you ever had that? Ex- have you ever had that experience, Andrew, where you've been somewhere? And you've been in a room with someone who's playing music and they're kind of just playing to you and nobody else. Yeah. And it's sort of like awkwardly like intimate yes. in a way that you don't really like. Um, and sometimes you feel like the musician themselves doesn't even really realise what they're doing. They're kind of pinioning you pin- pinioning you a little bit um, more than <laughs> more than is probably comfortable. Yeah. Um, I kind of get that vibe from this track. No, definitely. Uh, like I've seen of, a few people like criticizing that that maybe the tracks don't have the kind of the build or the mm. you know you know they, they don't they don't have the progression that maybe maybe they should. But I don't think that's what she's trying to do. I think she is trying to create a mood yeah. and you know just fill the room with this yeah like, like kind of hanging hanging the air like stars almost. Yeah, one of my favorite reviewers of anything is uh, Mark Kermode. You know the mm-hmm. the movie critic. And um, one of his starting points when he's reviewing a, a film is to think, does this do the thing that it's set out yeah, to do? Yeah, they're intending to uh, do. Yeah. Have they met their intentions? And I would say this track does. I mean, I don't know a huge amount about her, but it seems to be like she's trying to go for intimate and raw and emotional um, and not trying to overcomplicate things too much. Um, and I'll remember this track, I think. It'll Good. stick with me. It's kind yeah. of haunting in a way. No, totally. Absolutely. There's other tracks that sound... They're almost like kind of blue spirituals, um, and they've got kind of those kind of titles. Like um, there's one, "How far is it to the grave? Let me live by the side of the road." So they're kind of they're kind of yeah, blue spiritual type type tracks, mm-hmm. but they're delivered as lullabies, and she does have that that quality that she's kind of it's like she's kind of singing into your ear. Yeah, and it, yeah, it is quite a bewitching, intoxicating thing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned like uh, Steinbeck because those those sort of uh, his famous novels, Grapes of Wrath and Mice and Men and all that, they're sort of like simple moral tales in a way mm-hmm. um, and they're sort of like spe- and the peril as well, sort of not really weighed down by too much fussy stuff it's No, pretty yeah, much even the language is quite powered back Pretty, pretty straightforward and I guess that is, if that's the sort of mm-hmm. vibe she's going for, I think she's I think she's getting it, definitely I think she's getting it yeah. So yeah, so I think I mean this is quite a, it's quite modest in terms of the length and the production values, but it is one that creeps up on you and it will be quite high on my list. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well thank you for introducing me to that one. So Ian, seeing as I'm very much taking the lead in terms of bringing the tracks for, for the next couple of weeks, 
we thought it'd be fun to kind of throw over to you with the the, the vinyl section, the vinyl word, the vinyl word. Yeah, very rare Absolutely. I get the vinyl word, <laughs> <laughs> but I will today. Okay, so um, yeah, so that that'll be fun. I'm gonna I'm just gonna pick things from my own vinyl collection, mm-hmm. um, and they may or may not be related to what we've listened to during the rest of the podcast today. Not so much, I have to say. That's um, okay. This is a track I've been wanting to for us to chat about for a little while, and I've just been kind of thinking about. How will I actually do that? Like, where will it best fit? So uh-huh. it doesn't it doesn't really fit here, but I'm going to speak about it here. So that's that's kind of it. Um, so the track we're talking about is um, "Still Ill" by The Smiths. Yep, an absolute uh, classic, classic track, and a band that means the world to me as well. Yeah, it means the world to me too. And um, the reason I picked this track, well, I picked it for a bunch of different reasons. Um, I mean, musically, it's it's very, very interesting. I'll talk about that in a wee minute. The lyrics are really interesting to me as well. But mm-hmm. actually, this is a track that... Um, it's one of those experiences where the lyrics really have nothing to do with me. Like, I don't have any real deep personal connection with what Morris is actually singing about. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this song that resonates with me very, very personally. Okay. And I sort of remember a particular time in my life, which I'm not going to really talk about here, but remember this very particular time where this track was like a crutch holding me up in some way. Like I was just listening to it all the time and, and I was listening to lots of the Smiths at the time, as I always gen- generally do. Yeah. But I, I came back to this one particularly. There's something uh, hopeful and romantic in this track, despite it sounding so kind of depressing at the same time. Yes, um, and, and having that title as well. Uh, yeah, and um, it's something about like, the title as well, Still Ill, I think it's about, it's kind of about self-discovery and it's comforting to know that you can sort of look at yourself and go, hmm, maybe there's something wrong and you can accept it and then you can learn to fix it if you if you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a bit of that in the lyric. I mean, the lyric is, is you know, people have interpreted, this is an endlessly interpreted lyric. People look at this in a million different ways about yeah. Thatcher and about, um, you know, people being you know, not very kind about homosexuality and so on. There's so many possible interpretations of this lyric. So, uh, again, it was written um, before I was even born. So, I mean, it's not really super personal. The lyric is super personal to me, but it somehow just means something to me. Mm-hmm. The lyric about under the iron bridge we kissed and we- I-, I got sore lips. I don't know why, but it just it just sort of sticks with me. I think it's a really, really uh, beautiful lyric mm-hmm. um, and really sort of emotionally powerful. It's a gut punch. Um Musically, I think this is the Smith's best work. I really love this. I think it's so self-contained. It's like two and a bit minutes long, I think. Um, and starts off with a, a with an upbeat drum riff. And then it careens between the music sounding depressed yeah. and then upbeat, almost within a single bar, just over and over and over and over again. You feel like you're up with it and then down and, and, and so on. And um, Johnny Marr's guitar work here... Um, I'm going to I'm going to go guitar nerd here for a, for a brief moment. Go for it. Um, so this is the first track that Johnny Marr played his, his very famous Rickenbacker guitar on. Um, if you don't know what it looks like, it's sort of one that looks like a big sort of spade almost. Yeah. In black with a white um, scratch plate on it. And um, he says that it changed his guitar style because that type of guitar has quite a thin, clean sound. So um, like, you know... It's the birds, isn't it? Yeah, the birds, Beatles as well, John Lennon yeah. used one as well. Um, it's a 60s yeah. associated guitar. Um, it's not one that's super robust in terms of its sound, so you're not going to be playing ACDC riffs on this. No. Um, so his guitar playing just became very intricate from this point onwards. Um, if you go on Spotify, there's a there's a John Peel uh, live version of this, which is unbelievable. Like the, the artistry you hear in this, the bass playing, the drumming, and, and of course Morrissey on top. 
unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Morris is cancelled, obviously, but um, <laughs> we can cancel the Smiths. Um, so to me, this is just a track that has a real deep personal connection to me that I can't really explain. And that's why I like it, I think. Yeah. It's just, it just reminds me of a particular time period and how I felt then um, and how I feel about it now. And I just love that. I just love what it what it is and I love it for what it is. No, that's an amazing description. I mean, I mean for me, I, I discovered the Smiths at just the kind of perfect age, you know, like 14. And I just absolutely fell head over heels for it. Yeah. And just, you know, I was one of those people that would just be pouring over the lyrics. I would buy every artist and every book that Morris yeah. and play and everything that Morrissey was referencing. I was in all about it kind of thing. And it was one of those things that became kind of part of my identity. Like you know, people would, people knew anything about me. It was be, be that I was a Smiths fan. Yeah. You know, so they are. Yeah. And it's, it's great that you're, you're picking this because I really enjoy talking about the Smiths in a positive way because I do feel like they've kind of been tainted a little bit by... Yeah. Like kind of what's happened with Morrissey in the last few years, even like the kind of the outpouring of emotion with the kind of Rick Astley yep. tour that's that's happening with Blossoms at the moment. I think people just want to f- to feel positive about the Smiths because yeah. they love it so much. If if you're a Smiths fan, it does really kind of you know hit you so, so deeply. There's something that's an inherently British band as yeah. well. I can't imagine a Smiths coming from almost anywhere else because they. They, they tap into something that's really deeply morose in Britain. It and it was a grim old time when they were writing stuff as well in the 80s and somehow they still there's still joy in the Smiths oh, there's still moments so much of, joy moments so of much ro- romance yeah. as you say I, 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 I can't stand people that just say oh, just dismiss them as De- depressing, depressing yeah. yeah it's just so reductive and yeah you're not trying hard enough. One of my friend, one of my, my good friends who has excellent taste in music. When I was, I was actually chatting to him about Still Ill recently, um, and he was saying like he loves the Smiths, but um, so the eighties production kind of he sort of just can't really get on with that. So yeah. he, he likes the songs and stuff, but he just something about that he can't really get on with. And I do, I, I can, I can understand that. But um, yeah. I mean, even like the Smiths themselves, they they kind of denounced the first album. They, yeah. they weren't happy with the production on it. So when you're talking about the Peel version, would that that be the version on Hatful of Hollow? I think I so. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, yeah. So I, I do prefer a lot of those versions. Um, it's interesting that you say this is the one for you. Uh, th- this has never been one of my, you know, I, I love it, but it's never been, you know, right at the top of the mountain for me in terms of Smith songs. It's a weird one for me, though, because I kind of know that it is an odd choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I couldn't. It's, it's, it's almost exclusively that lyric about the Iron Bridge and I have no idea. What, <laughs> I don't really know why that's so effective to me, but it, it just kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, as well, I've not even really spoken about the bass playing on this track, which is on another level. As For indie guitar music, the bass guitar and the, the lead guitar on this track are just unbelievable. I mean, there's so many bands that just mm. wouldn't have a career yeah. running off for this. Um, so it's absolutely yeah. I mean, when we're talking about the, the Beatles, you know, the Smiths, they were they were influenced by so many unusual things yeah. that, that so many other indie bands weren't. You know, so many other indie bands were just listening to the Velvet Underground or something yeah. like that, whereas they were listening to the Velvet Underground. Or, or, or you know, they would, they would do, um, uh, it was like Marvin Gaye's Hitchhike, but via... The Velvets doing there she here she comes again or whatever yeah. you know and, and they they love the the girl groups and they love Silla Black and they yeah. love love Chic as well and all they were just so there was a lot of kind of funk in it. Yeah. Andy O'Rourke's 
bass playing and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think they, they were a really special band in terms yeah. of the musicianship. And there's a lot of glamour about the, the, the yeah. artwork and, and so on, and, and it was a, just a, a unique look. And, yeah, it's and just everything. a total world that they created. It was just. Yeah, I love them. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's enough. We've gushed enough. We started gushing about the Beatles, now we're gushing uh, about the Smiths. Um, so I guess the only thing left to say is that, guys, if you've enjoyed our podcast today, um, come back next week because we'll have more albums yep. of the year. Six more selections. Six more selections from Album of the Year, uh, from uh, Andrew's Albums of the Year list. Um, and if you've enjoyed what you've listened to, please consider um, visiting www.buymeacoffee.com slash Wonders, where you can um, donate generous copious lashings of coffee upon us yep absolutely as we get closer to Christmas we need some of that hot liquid inside us (laughs) (laughs) okay guys uh, here is still ill by this month Just wasn't like